0: Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, actually let's do 21, let's do 21, do not have a powerpoint. For us this morning, so we're going to have to do it the old fashioned way. We're going to have to flip a lot. And while we're on that, let me just tell you if you're a, you're a guest with us this morning, let me tell you about this. Uh, we believe the Word of God at Wyatt Baptist Church. We believe this book is supernatural. And our second core value is that we believe in the authority of the Word of God, that this Word, this Scripture, is authoritative for our lives. And we are blessed to have the Word of God. I'm sure that a lot of you may not realize that five, six hundred years ago to have a personal copy of the Bible was unheard of. Unheard of. To have a study Bible. Study Bibles didn't exist. And so to have a, a Bible that explains things and your own personal copy, and as many of us have many copies, we are truly blessed. Mary Had a Little Lamb. All right? One of the first songs that we memorize or know when we're, when we're little kids, right? Can somebody say it? Mary Had a Little Lamb. What's the next part? Okay. We're only so easy to memorize the Bible, right? But we know that. And the next part, and everywhere that Mary went. Okay, I actually did a little research on that song. Nothing really impressive, but it is based on what could have been an an actual occurrence. Uh, That song goes back to the 1830s. And uh, there's not really an impressive story behind it, but we sure do talk about it a lot. We talk about lambs a lot. This is a lamb. I'm using a prop today. This is one of my daughter's little lambs. And when you think about a lamb, uh, what do you think about? You think about something that is soft, something that's uh, innocent, something that is uh, vulnerable. Sheep, wolves. A lamb is just a a baby sheep. Okay? Now, if Mary took a bear to school, it would be a much more exciting song. (laughs) Mary had a little bear. She took the bear to school. I'm sure you get to come up with some really great... Somebody ought to do a book like that. They like can make a lot of money. You can take that idea. Uh, just as much as people are... Uh, most people are kind of repulsed and, and um, afraid of snakes. One of our pastors is definitely afraid of snakes. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Some of you know. Uh, and I don't like them either. Just like we're repulsed by snakes, we kind of kind of warm up to the sheep. And if you do go to the Union County Fair this week and you walk down to the animal barn, you, you're no doubt going to see some sheep. And uh, they're really beautiful animals. They're amazing animals. And so we, uh, we make little dolls and we give them to our kids. And, and uh, so there's that. will leave that up there for a little bit. But one of the things that, about the Bible that is so hard to swallow If you love animals, how many of you would consider yourself an animal lover today? You love animals. Okay, so a lot of us. Um, I like hunting animals and eating animals, so I'm an animal lover. Uh, There's there's a bunch of us in, in the room today, too. But one of the things that's hard to swallow is when it comes to human history, it indicates that for thousands of years... God not only allowed but commanded the slaughtering of animals in his nation of Israel, his people. From the time of Abraham, or actually from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, that's 2,000 years there, round about, God commanded the slaughtering of animals. And I don't know if you can let your mind sink in on that. Millions upon millions upon millions of animals. Not just lambs, but bulls, goats, birds, all different kinds of animals. And it might cause you to be uneasy when you realize that the priest in the Old Testament looked less like the priest that you see on the TV shows from the Catholic Church and looks more like the butcher at your local grocery store. That's what the priest looked like after a full day of work of killing and slaughtering and sacrificing animals. And so this is a hard thing to see, and it's one of the reasons why people look at the Bible, and skeptics of the Bible look at that, and they say, you Christians are over here talking about Jesus and loving your neighbor and all this stuff, but look at your Old Testament, look how violent it was, look how... Uh, Look how horrific it was with all these sacrifices. It might make you uneasy. It should make you uneasy as a Christian, and and we have freedom to disagree here, but I'm going to share this because I I believe it's right. It should make you really uneasy if, if you buy into modern pop science that says that the earth is millions of years old. And that there's been 65, 70, 100 million years of animal death. How can God create six days of creation and get to the end and say it's very good when for millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of years maybe there have been animals dying? And so I say go with the Bible. The Bible says the Earth's about 6,000 years old. I think there's plenty of science to back that up. But anybody that advocates, and that you can follow Jesus and love Jesus and still believe that the Earth is millions and millions of years old, but I also caution you that there's a lot of pop science out there, and people believe things because other people believe things, because people told them to believe that, because people told them to believe that. And that's the mess that we're in right now. And so I encourage you to go and find the truth. But it's a problem when you have millions and millions of years of animal death. How can God say that's good? God not love animals? One of the things that we have to keep in mind when we look at the Old Testament, we have to balance animal apathy with animal idolatry. I think we see both in our culture today. We see some people that get their kicks out of blowing up animals and mistreating them and and abusing them. And then we have others over here that will dedicate their whole life to fluffy. Fluffy, fluffy fluffy is God and the Bible calls us to a place of what's called stewardship to steward to manage to rule animals in a healthy way that would honor God not to let them become our God and not to destroy them needlessly those of you hunter guys there's one of the problems I have with some of these hunting shows man it's like these guys are kind of weird go hunting, give God glory, don't get your kicks out of blowing something up, respect what God has given you, give glory to him and everything, and don't let, don't let a hobby become perverse, um, so those sermons are free. But if we love animals in a healthy way, and we look at the Old Testament, this is a real problem to see these animal sacrifices, and I hope to briefly give you an overview this morning of some animal sacrifices and lamb sacrifices specifically that that hopefully will actually draw you closer to God and show you some of what he's been doing all of these years. I want to answer the question, why the animal sacrifices? And I have to tell you, there's a lot there. If you go read the book of Leviticus right now, there's a lot of confusing things in there. So I want to try to simplify, and I don't understand it all myself, but I want to try to simplify a few things this morning. Point number one, animal sacrifice existed in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel because of sin. Animal sacrifice existed because of sin. It was not part of the original creation. It did not happen millions of years before Adam and Eve. The Bible says... In Romans 5, 12, that death entered through Adam's sin. Through one man, sin entered, and through sin, death. The curse of God on creation happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And so it was not a part of original creation. In fact, the permission that God gave to Noah to eat meat, that that wasn't there at the beginning either. That was 1,600 years later that God finally made eating meat okay and declared that Noah could do that. And so God cares about animals. Psalm 50 verses 12 through 13. God says, "If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and everything in it is mine anyway, basically. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats?" That's what a lot of people thought when they were giving their animal sacrifices to the pagans. They give these sacrifices to these gods because they wanted to feed these gods, these gods are hungry. God saying I own all of this stuff. That's not why I'm getting you, Israel, you people, to give these sacrifices. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And so animal sacrifice exists because sin requires death. Your sin requires the death of you. Did you know that? Your sin is a serious thing to God. If you can look at the death of an animal, the slaughter of an innocent animal, and you can say, that's horrific. You and I need to look at our own sin in our own life, and we don't need to gloss over that. We need to say, wow, how horrific is my sin in the eyes of God? The animal sacrifices existed because we have the problem of approaching God and having a relationship with Him because of our sin. Isaiah 59, 2, your iniquities, another word for sin, has built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, this I say therefore, Paul says, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened because being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Sin blinds us to God. It alienates us from God. It has separated us from God. It's not like it was in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God. Their sin has separated them from God. And so not only do we have a problem of death, we have a problem that we want to have a relationship or we should want to have a relationship with our Creator. We should want to be restored. We should want to understand our purpose. We should want to see Him as He is and have that relationship. But we were created to be His representatives and to reflect all of His creation. We were created in His image. And so we were supposed to shine His light, shine His love, shine His purity, shine His justice, shine obedience to Him, His worth, display selflessness to all of creation that reflects the goodness and the glory of God and instead, our heads, our hands, our eyes, our mouths, our hearts, and our lives betrayed Him with every sin. Sin is a horror. It's a horror in my life. But it's a horror in everybody's life. Most of us can think of a few sins that we say, hey, that's bad. That's a bad sin. Or this is, a, this is the one bad sin that's in my life. And the truth of the matter is, any sin... If it's still in a piece of bubble gum, it is dishonoring to God. And so we have this great problem of sin. The scriptures say that no one is righteous. No, not one. And that we need to humble ourselves before God and be convicted over our sin. That takes the, the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come now and would convict you of your sin. That he would open the eyes of your heart to see how serious your sin is. And to abhor your sin—that means to, re- to 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 be horrified by it, and to reject it. And these sacrifices show us in a visible way the horror of our sin. It's a horrific thing to see acute, fluffy animals' blood spilled out. And a lot of churches don't want to talk about blood today. And I understand the sensitivities. I have children myself. But the Bible is full of this imagery. And we can't get away from it, nor should we get away from it, because even though it's a horrific thing because of the death aspect, it's a beautiful thing because of the life that it gives. And so these sacrifices of animals, what God was doing is he was teaching the Israelites and he teaches us about the horror of sin and that sin causes death. Animal sacrifices was one of the things that God used in the Old Testament to open people's eyes. It's ironic that Adam and Eve had their eyes open and they became knowledgeable of good and evil. But that knowledge of good and evil that all of us possess doesn't mean that we can't be callous to our sin and hardened to it. Secondly, animal sacrifices were symbolic. They actually didn't pay for any sin. They were all symbolic. God was using this to teach the Israelites something. He was using this as a tool to make known his patience with them, his mercy with them. I was talking to a group of kids the other day, and I said, do you realize, these were young kids, and I said, do you realize that if God wiped out all sin in 1995, that you wouldn't be here? Think about that. Because God would have had to wipe out your parents. You don't exist. God is displaying His patience. The fact that we are here today in a sinful world. People say, why is the world like this? Think about it. God is being patient. He is allowing human beings to come into this world so that they can know Him. He is being merciful. He is being patient. And these animal sacrifices were a way that over the years, God, as He unfolded His plan to reveal Jesus... He could display his patience. And he could also teach them about the horrific nature of sin. Hebrews 10, 1-4. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So he says it's a reminder of sins. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They are a reminder and they never took away sins from anybody. They were all done in faith, in obedience to God, looking forward to the one who would take away sin, number three, not only are um, animal sacrifices symbolic and, and they exist because of sin, or they existed because of sin, although modern Jews still practice animal sacrifice because they reject Jesus. All animal sacrifices pointed to Jesus. Galatians 3:24 says, "Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ." so that we may be justified by faith. All of God's laws in this book are designed to lead us to Christ. Even the ceremonial laws of the sacrificial system that God gave to Moses after he brought them out of Egypt. Luke 24, verse 27, Then Jesus, after his resurrection, he was walking on a road to a, uh, the road to Emmaus. And he met with two disciples, and it says that he spent the whole day walking with them. And it says that beginning with Moses, they they didn't know, they were were talking about different ideas, and, and finally just Jesus said, don't you know what's going on? And Jesus said to them, it says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The entire Bible is about Jesus. It's one big story made up of smaller stories about Jesus Christ. It is the story of God glorifying Himself by redeeming fallen creation and fallen mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's one amazing story. Hebrews 10, Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the actual form of those realities, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. And so here it's saying, these year after year offerings that the Jews are doing, these things don't remove sin. Your sin is way worse. They can't remove your sin. But these sacrifices, they point to the reality that is Jesus. And so understanding the Old Testament, here's the big point. Understanding the Old Testament sacrifices then, even if you understand them in, in just a basic way, it helps us to know Jesus. It helps us to know him now, and it helps us, to point, helps us to point others toward him. And it gives us a greater understanding of what actually happened on the cross and what he did for us. A fourth point, lamb sacrifices specifically point to Jesus. Jesus. There were many different sacrifices, many different animal sacrifices, as I mentioned. And Jesus could just as easily be called the bull of God or the goat of God. That would mean something totally different over the last couple of years, to be the goat of God. Because now it means greatest of all time. It's an acronym. Y'all have ever heard that? Just something like two of you. That's what, that's what all the kids are saying, apparently. Man, he's the goat. Okay? Good. Bye. You know, goat. Great. But he could be called the goat of God, I guess in two, two ways. Even turtle doves, birds were given as sacrifices because sometimes poor people didn't have an uh, animal to give. They could even sometimes give uh, money or, or grain. And that just proves that, that, that the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they didn't actually remove sin, they were all pointing. But God allowed provisions for those who were poor and didn't have these things that others had. But lamb sacrifices specifically point to Jesus. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And he'll be called that forever. And the first we see of this is his cousin John the Baptist. um, Living in the wilderness, baptizing people in repentance. He says in, in, in John chapter 1 verse 29, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we begin to see this title of Jesus, this important title of Jesus that I've realized after studying we don't don't value nearly enough. There were numerous lamb sacrifices, point five. Lamb sacrifices point to Jesus, but there were also many different lamb sacrifices. There were yearly sacrifices. There were special occasion sacrifices. I want want to quickly go through three of them and I want to, to, to... This is the meat of the sermon. I want to look at these three sacrifices involving lambs and kind of just show how they point to Jesus and how they illustrate Him. The first is the Genesis chapter 2 future lamb of Abraham. Abraham was a man that God called out. He was the one that was supposed to begin the nation of Israel. And he was old in his age, and God made him a promise that, that if he would have faith that god would give him a child and abraham believed this promise and god counted that faith as righteousness toward abraham's account because he had faith and god gave him isaac but then all of a sudden one day god tested abraham and here's what it says if you want to turn to genesis 2 you can now it came about after these things that god tested abraham and said to him abraham And he said, "'Here am I.' He said, "'Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, "'and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering "'on one of the mountains, which I will tell you.' So Abraham rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance.' And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took it in his, in his hand, the fire and the knife and the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, my father, here I am my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. And many of you know how the rest of the story goes. Abraham is about to sacrifice. He lays his son on the altar. And even though this is a, a strange request from God, Abraham displays a faith. Maybe he had faith that God was going to raise Isaac back from the dead. But whatever it is, Abraham had faith in God that God wasn't going to let him down. And right as he was about to strike his son, God stopped him, and he said, no, 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 Abraham. Wait, wait, do not kill your son. I provided a sacrifice. And over in the bushes, there was a ram, a full-grown sheep caught by his horns. And so Abraham sacrificed that ram. And what we see here is, we see a pointing to the future. Because if God had provided a lamb in the thicket, then people could stand over here and they could say, no, 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 see, Genesis chapter 2 is not talking about Jesus. It was, it was fulfilled by that ram. By that lamb, I mean, that was, that was in the, the thicket. But I think God did this on purpose. He did this on purpose because people will ask, why didn't God, Abraham and Isaac, both are expecting a lamb, and why did God give a ram? I think, one, so he had horns to get caught in the thicket, and two, so that it could be said that ram in the thicket Abraham, that's not the lamb I'm talking about. The lamb that I'm going to provide is going to be in the future. And it's not going to be your son. It's going to be my son. A couple of things with the illustration of Abraham's lamb, the future lamb. It was an offering. It was an offering of worship. They went up to worship. It pointed to a fatherly sacrifice. This is God saying, I'm going to provide a lamb. And God, indeed provides his little lamb John 3:16 God so loved the world that he gave his only son it wasn't just any lamb it was his lamb it was his son that he gave when you're talking to people about Jesus don't leave that out bring out the aspect don't just try to go through the formula talk about God's fatherly love That the sacrifice on Calvary on that day was as close to any father's heart as anything could ever be. And yet he gave up his own lamb. His own perfect, young, precious lamb. Abraham, nothing you can manufacture or up can compare to the lamb that I'm going to give you. I'm going to provide sacrifice for worship Abraham all you need to do is enter freely it's the same thing God's done with us he has provided the lamb if you want to worship God you don't need to get money together you don't need to get talent together you don't need to get friends who are holy that's a good idea you need to believe that God has already provided what you need to worship him he has provided the lamb the second lamb is the Passover lamb Hundreds of, years, hundreds of years later, millions of Israelites are now imprisoned in Egypt. Moses is trying to lead them out, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and God sends plagues upon Egypt and on the Pharaoh, but he doesn't listen. So eventually God has to, he has to pull out the big one, the death of the firstborn. The most devastating. And here's what Exodus 12, if you want to turn there, here's what it says about this. God says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, they put the blood of the lamb, they had to kill a lamb and put the blood over their doorpost. When I see the blood, No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout all your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And the Jews do today. They still celebrate the Passover meal. And they kill a lamb, a Passover lamb, a year old, no blemish, except instead of putting it over their doorpost, they cook it and they eat it and they remember God's faithfulness to pass over them it's the Passover lamb that John the Baptist and John the Apostle the writer the writer of the the book of John most likely have in mind when John says behold the Lamb of God the book of John there are four gospel books four biographies of Jesus John's biography of Jesus records all three of the yearly Passovers that he participated in the other three do not. The Passover was very important to John. And maybe we can find an answer for why that is in Luke 22.8. Luke 22, eight tells us that the night of the Passover, just before Jesus would be betrayed, that he sent Peter and John specifically, those two disciples, to prepare the Passover meal along with uh, slaying the lamb for that meal. And so you think about this, in the lives of these two disciples, the rest of their lives, when they're remembering that week, they're remembering that the day that Jesus was betrayed, they were also slaughtering a lamb. They were preparing a lamb for that Passover meal. And I believe, although it can't be proven, I believe that that could be the reason that this stuck with them. It was a powerful reminder. And that's why they use lamb terminology. Peter says this in 1 Peter one eighteen and nineteen, knowing that you were not redeemed <coughs> with perishable things like gold or silver from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so Peter uses lamb terminology. And John uses lamb of God terminology. And Paul, the Apostle, he clearly calls Jesus the Passover lamb in First Corinthians. In first Corinthians five, six through eight. He tells the people, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with the old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed already. Now, the Passover lamb wasn't a sacrifice of worship, as Abraham's was, and nor was it a sacrifice to pay for sin. It wasn't either of those things. Each of these different sacrifices, those are, there are some overlap in them. You can, you can see a different thing in each one. The Passover lamb was a substitute. It was a substitute, so that the firstborn did not have to die. They could kill this lamb, and the lamb would be a substitute. And let me encourage each of you. What I have found... And I'm certainly no expert. But what I have found is in our culture, the people that we deal with on a daily basis and we run into, even if they've grown up in church, they need to hear that word substitute. If you're sharing the gospel with somebody, in some people's minds it gets all jumbled up and they don't make the connection that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for them. Now, substitute is something we get very... We understand that. I work with kids all the time. We understand that pretty clearly. You have substitutes in sports. A sub will come in and get you. You have substitute teachers. That word substitute is so important to get at what Jesus did on the cross because a lot of people look at what Jesus did on the cross as just a symbolic act of love. You say, how can they think that? They do. They think God just forgives sin... Because he's good and he doesn't really care that much about sin. And here's Jesus over there showing us how much, how so much he loved us. And they don't ever bring those two things together and realize Jesus didn't just love you by example or by symbol. He did something of love for you on the cross. He died in your place and in my place. He was the Passover lamb for us. Finally, the third one, the morning and evening lambs this is one that I didn't know a lot about and I really enjoyed studying it and I want to continue studying it but this is a sacrifice that's more uncommon to people's minds it was the daily sacrifice of the nation of Israel they were commanded to sacrifice two lambs each day one in the morning when the gates of the temple would open and one in the evening and this wasn't an offering that each household would do like the Passover lamb was. This was something that the community would do. This was something that the nation did. This was something that was representative to cover the entire nation. Though the people had to contribute and provide the lambs, it was something that was, that was symbolic and it represented the entire nation. And it was offered for the people each day. <coughs> and this lamb was burned all day and then they would burn the other one toward the evening. Now, this was a gruesome process. And to understand this, you have to understand that when the temple opened, all day long they sacrificed. The daily lamb sacrifice was the bookend. They could not start sacrificing to God personal sacrifices and and, and burnt offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings and and all the things that were such a, a, a common practice to teach them. They could not start until the lamb had been sacrificed in the morning And they could not close until the lamb was sacrificed in the evening. And what they would do is they would cut this lamb. They would catch its blood in a consecrated bowl. And they would take it to the altar where they were going to make all the other sacrifices. And each morning, they consecrated this altar by throwing that blood all over the altar. A gruesome process. And then they would burn that lamb all day. It was a continuous, a perpetual sacrifice. Exodus 29 38 through 43 is where you can find that says this will be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you the lesson is this God wanted to meet with the people God wanted to meet with the people but he couldn't get to them because of their sin And so he said, look, I have got to provide for you. And so this lamb, this sacrifice was about access to God. They could not sacrifice to him unless this was provided. There had to be a continual sacrifice in place covering their sinfulness. God was willing to meet with them if their sinfulness could be covered. And it happened every day. Now, what's the connection to Jesus? Jesus is our perpetual sacrifice. He's our permanent sacri- sacrifice. We don't need to sacrifice a lamb morning and evening. The lamb has been sacrificed morning, evening, eternity. There n- no more lambs need to die. He is eternally the sacrifice that we need. Some have pointed this out. I've yet to verify it, but it it seems feasible. Some have pointed out that the Jews were still offering the daily lamb sacrifice in the temple on the day that Jesus was crucified. They did it every day. And so they're in the temple of Jerusalem. It's very feasible that when Jesus was put on the cross at 9 a.m. and when he died at 6 a.m., that those were the times, morning and, and evening, that the lambs were sacrificed quite possible Jesus died as a lamb who removes our sin the daily sacrifice of the lamb signals that Jesus bears our sin when God killed the first animal in the garden and he covered Adam and Eve with the skins of that animal it signified that something had to die and cover you Something had to bear the weight of your sin and cover you. And Jesus is the lamb who has been slain that covers us. 1 Peter two twenty four He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. 2 Corinthians five twenty one For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so these three particular sacrifices, friends, they give us a picture of the vulnerability that Jesus (laughs) subjected himself to as the Lamb of God. And in that weakness, he died as a sacrifice of worship to God. He died to be a Lamb who would bear our sin, and he died to be a substitute dying in our place. And so when you think about Jesus dying on the cross, and when you think about him being the Lamb of God, dwell deeply on that name the scriptures are heavy with this energy for a reason god wants us to dwell and to meditate and to dig deep on what exactly does it mean to be the lamb of god this is an important title for jesus it's a glorious title for jesus and how do i know that because the last book of the bible has more occurrences of it than any book 30 times, around 30 times, John, who wrote, wrote this book as well, he calls Jesus the lamb. But it's not just a lamb that's in weakness. It's not just a lamb that was vulnerable. There's more. In Revelation 5, 6, he's a lamb that was slain but is now standing and living. In Revelation five twelve, he's a lamb who receives worship and praise. In chapter 6, verse 1, he's a lamb who has the authority to open the seals. In chapter 6, verse 16, he's a lamb who has wrath upon sin and upon sinners. In chapter 7, verse 14, he's a lamb who has cleansed us. In chapter 7, verse 17, he's a lamb who is our shepherd. In chapter 12, verse 11, he's a lamb providing victory over Satan for his people by his blood. In Revelation 14, verse 4, he's a lamb that leads. In seventeen seven, he's a lamb that will conquer militarily. In 19, 7, he's, a, he's a, a lamb that is a groom for a bride and that he will receive the reward of his church, you and I who have believed and trusted in his name. In twenty two twenty two, he's a lamb that is our very temple. In 22, we don't even need light in the new city of Jerusalem because Jesus is our lamp and our light. And in 22, verse 1, he's on a throne because he's a king, though he's a lamb. Jesus wears this name, this title, this badge of honor, being the lamb. Who ever heard of a lamb with power? Who ever heard of a lamb with authority? Who ever heard of a lamb that could save? Jesus is that lamb. And the last thing I want to mention to you is from Revelation 21. Beginning in verse 22, if you're there, John writes, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations are those who are saved. They shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter anything into it that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's not only a lamb that died, he is a lamb who has life. The life that you need. The life that I need. Are you found in that book? If that book was open right now, would it show that you have humbled yourself and trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? That You've turned from your sin and you've turned to Him. Trusted in what He did on that cross for you. He died so that you can have life in Him. You want to know Jesus? Stop working and start trusting Trust in what he did for you. He died as a lamb to set you free. So you can be saved today. You can ask God. You can ask Jesus to take away your sin, to give you new life. And he'll answer that promise. If you have faith in him, he will answer that promise. You need to do so today. You don't need to wait another second. You're not guaranteed another second. I know you hear that a lot of Sundays. It's not a game. It's the truth. Every single Sunday, little girl lost her life up here. She is in eternity now. You can be in eternity at any point. And it's not just about fearing your death and fearing, you know, your judgment. That, that's a reason to want to be saved by Jesus. But the biggest reason is you don't just need to think about how he's loved you, but you need to think about how lovely he is real reason I want to go to heaven, I want to see Jesus. Amen? I want to see this Lamb. I want to know Him. I want to see His glory. I want to be in His presence. I want to get my sin out of my life so that I can have Him in my life forever. And amazingly, He promises to be my Lamb. And He'll promise to be yours as well let's pray together our musicians will come we'll have a song of invitation heavenly father i pray that today you would help us to glorify your lamb god that we would see the beauty of his sacrifice i pray today god you've made things clearer in our minds about why you you sent Jesus to die. And maybe there's somebody that's got a cold heart today. Maybe their sin has made them cold. God, I pray they would look upon the Lamb, that the Spirit would move in their lives, soften them toward you, and, and let you do work in their lives. We love you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.